I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. In this episode, I interview Elizabeth Lang Thompson. Elizabeth is the author of five nonfiction books and has a sixth that's soon to be published. Her books have broken out into the mainstream Christian market and are selling in the tens of thousands. You may have heard of her books such as All the Feels for Teens, All the Feels, When God Says Wait, When God Says No, and When God Says Go. Listen as she shares how she got started writing, what it was like growing up the oldest daughter of Sam and Jerry Lang, how to get started as an author, how to build a platform through social media, how to handle rejection, and how she's broken into the mainstream Christian market. All this and more on the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. I hope your Christmas holiday was fantastic. This is recorded right around the Christmas of 2022. I'm looking forward to talking to Elizabeth Lang Thompson. She's a writer and has done an amazing job. And, you know, a long time ago, I thought, I want to be like Paul. I want to live a life like him, live such an exciting life. And one of the things that became glaringly clear is he was a writer. He's left a writing legacy that's impacting people for the past 2,000 years. And so I thought, if I want to imitate him fully, I need to develop a writing a writing skill. I need to, I need to put out some books. Now, I have no illusions that I'm going to be inspired as he was, but I go, yeah, I'm going to give it my best shot. And so when I needed help in writing my books, I looked around for someone who had gone before. Elizabeth is one of the most successful writers in our family of churches. So I called her, I asked her to edit my book, I paid her to edit my book, and also give me advice on how to be a better writer. And boy, she gave it to me. She gave me some great advice and guidance, and I know that she has much more where that came from. So Uh, You've got a lot to look forward to in this interview. But I want to talk first about the CLIMB Small Church Leadership Conference coming up November 30th of 2023. Really want you to come to this. This is going to be amazing. And no matter where you live, uh, whether you're in Australia, whether you're in Southeast Asia, whether you're in uh, Sweden, um, Japan, try to come to this conference. It's going to be in Dallas, Texas. It starts Thursday night, November 30th. It goes through Sunday, and it's going to be filled with fired up disciples from all over the country, all over the world. And it's going to be for people just like you, people that want to grow, want their life to count, want to make a difference. So please, please sign up for that. We'll get the registration up and running really soon. Elizabeth, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and talk about my favorite things, books and writing. So. I, I know it. And, you know, I, I we've talked to, before the interview and I'm super appreciative for the help that you've given me on my own writing. writing. And uh, when, I, when I started writing, I was like, man, I really need some help. And you gave me advice. You edited one of my books and also gave, gave me some direction to go to a writer's conference, which I did. 
Really appreciated that. Thank you so much. Oh yeah. I, I always get so excited when I meet someone else who's writing and who's taking the time to figure out, Hey, how do you do this? Like, this is a whole different world. There's all these rules. Uh, so I always love passing on what others have passed on to me and just finding someone who loves the same thing that I love. So it was fun getting to talk to you and see your stuff. Thank you. Thank you. How'd you become a Christian? I became a Christian in Miami, Florida when I was right at the end of middle school. Um, you know, I was a church kid, grew up in a preacher's kid family. And so obviously God and Jesus were <laughs> very much a part of my life. But I think it it took me a while just figuring out, okay, is this what I want for my life? I know that my parents love this and they've chosen this and they love God and they think he's pretty great, but do I? Right. <laughs> and, um, so I, um, I really wrestled with that decision for a long time. Um, I sort of, you know, went through the Bible studies that we did in our teen ministry and thought about it. And then I actually took a break from studying the Bible for a long time because I just kind of got overwhelmed. It felt like a huge decision and I did take it seriously and I just kind of needed time. I needed time to look at the world and figure out if the world was better than God or not. And I obviously concluded that God was the best thing out there. <laughs> I think it took me a while to figure out that, you know, becoming a Christian was not about a list of to do's and to don'ts and just this sort of like be a good person lifestyle, but mm. it was really about walking with God and loving God. And once I figured that out, I was, I was all in, I was ready to go, um, ready to give my life to Jesus um, so yeah, end of eighth grade and I've really never looked back. I'm so thankful that God got me young before I had time to do too much damage. <laughs> to right, exactly. You know, he saved me from a lot <laughs> that I would have done otherwise. That's right. Let's talk a little bit about your family. You, you grew up in a very spiritual household in our, in our family of churches, Sam and Jerry Lang are really well known and. Uh, we're part of the the Crossroads ministry, not just part of the Crossroads ministry, but really um, one of the first campus ministers that were baptized in that ministry and super influential in the teaching ministry. And I mean, I mean, I, there was a time when I was planting a church in Southern Oregon in Ashland, Oregon, and I wanted to get help with my kids. I had, you know, boys and two boys and a daughter. And I thought, man, I really need help from somebody who can help me with my boys. You know, I'd seen a lot of uh, families around me had lots of girls. I like, I need help with these boys. And so I called your dad. Actually, your dad didn't know me, but um, I emailed him and I emailed him. I kind of had a drip campaign going where I emailed him like about once every month and said, Hey, you don't know me, but I'm here. I'm leading a church. I'd like you to come out and do a marriage retreat for us and help me with my kids. And so, um, you know, he, he was kind of like, who is this guy? <laughs> Finally, I think I just wore him out. He was like, okay, I'll go. And he flew out. And this was probably around 2005 or six. He flew out from Georgia and we had a great time. He did a great program. He looked at my, my family, my kids. He said, uh, you know, he gave me some encouragement. He said, you're doing a good job, which really helped me. And I was like, oh, this guy's a spiritual giant. And I took him on a motorcycle trip. We went out and rode motorcycles nice. out in the dirt. 
because I knew that he liked motorcycles and, uh, of course, Harleys, but these were dirt bikes. We went out trail riding, which was really fun. But uh, after that, it's interesting. I, I know I'm sorry for talking so much here, but he, I asked him, I said, listen, would you mind discipling me? And mm-hmm. I said, I'll pay you. And, and I, I just basically paid, paid that money. I think I gave him $100 a month to, to, to talk on the phone. And once mm-hmm. I think we just talked once a month and just to get help with my family. That was money well spent. And we did that for like wow. a year or so. But wow. just filled with respect for your family, for your dad. And what was it like growing up in that environment? I just can imagine it must, you must have felt some pressure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I think we I do think we did feel some of that, not necessarily from my parents. Um, but the truth is, I I think all kids who grow up in the church, you know, feel a measure of, ooh, I know my parents want for me what they have and they think God is great. What if I don't think God is great? You know, what if this isn't what I end up wanting and you feel that? Um, I am so grateful to have had the parents that I I have. Um, we were not at all a perfect family. Um, we all had, you know, plenty of sins. We had to apologize to one another a lot. Um, but I, my parents truly deeply loved God. They adored God's church, even when in those seasons, when God's church didn't adore them back, you know, I I mean, you have, when you're working in ministry, you have times when, church is hard and it's not going well and there's conflict and strain. And, and so as a preacher's kid, my parents protected me from a lot, but at the same time, I knew when they were stressed and church was hard and they were working through something, but they always, always loved God's church. And I think that was something they gave to me and my Mm. siblings, just a genuine love for God's people and that dream of what God's people could be. And, um, Uh, I always saw my dad disappearing into the woods behind our house every morning to walk with God. And that really stood out to me that, Mm. you know, this is, it's really just about loving God and Mm. walking with him. It's not about all the bells and whistles and the to do's and the church meetings. It's, it's just about having a real relationship. Um, my parents were great about like having an open atmosphere and apologizing themselves when they messed up. That's something I've really tried to incorporate in my own parenting is, you know, I'm not a perfect parent, but Hey, let me own that. And I'm sorry. And I want to do better. And will you give me a do over, you know, that I think spoke loudly to us as kids too, just that being a Christian isn't about being perfect. It's about growing and doing your best and loving God and loving the people around you. So I don't know. I could talk right, all day long. Right. You know, I, know, I could I know. talk for hours and hours about the, the things I learned from my parents. And yeah, uh, but I'm so grateful for who they were and what they gave us growing up. Yeah. And your, your mom, I mean, your, your mom is, has quite a great reputation and I get requests from people who want to hear from, from Jerry. And I look forward to interviewing her in the future. We talked about this a little bit before this interview. how did you meet your husband, Kevin? Yeah. Oh, so it's one of those funny stories where Kevin and I did not grow up knowing each other, but our parents like had mutual friends and they knew each other. So like our families were connected all through our childhood. We did not, I don't ever remember meeting him, but, um, 
my dad was a campus minister at the University of Florida when Kevin's dad was in medical school there. So, you know, they connected many years ago. Um, and then lo and behold, we both ended up going to Duke uh, for college. And so that's really where we got to know one another. We became friends there. Kevin had also become a Christian when he was in late middle school, but then he really um, kind of struggled spiritually through high school. And so Kevin had, like me, had become a Christian in late middle school, but then he really sort of struggled and wandered a bit in high school and was more interested in being a quarterback and being you know, popular than being a Christian. But he really repented right before he became uh, right before he came to college. And so when we both got to Duke, he was very like, I want to give God my best. I want to help build our, our church did not have a ministry there yet. And so he was like, I want to help build a ministry. So we really just became friends through leading Bible discussions on campus, reaching out to our friends, you know, trying to build something. Um, and so gradually that turned into something else. Now being, you know, full disclosure, it turned into something else almost immediately for me. And <laughs> I I knew what I was looking for as a freshman in college. <laughs> Kevin uh, needed a little more time, partly just because he needed time. So he tells me to focus on Jesus and not girls. But, you know, to my dismay, it took him a few years to realize that I was the woman of his dreams, even though I knew right away he was the man of mine. <laughs> so. That's great. So you guys dated in college and then got married right afterwards? or Right afterwards, yes. We started dating um, about halfway through college, right before our junior year. Got married and then started working in campus ministry together full time after that. So. Okay, so could you give a little, like, overview? Sure. So we, let's see, we got married in 99, uh, graduated college then. Um, Kevin actually played one more season of football after we got married, which was kind of an odd little, I don't know, asterisk. I don't know, a little fun, fun thing that um, happened. So then we stayed in the Triangle area in North Carolina, working in campus ministry while he was finishing playing football. And we worked at NC State and UNC Chapel Hill. And then we moved to Georgia and worked at Georgia Tech for three years, which was a ministry we absolutely loved. Worked, lived in downtown Atlanta. So fun, great ministry experience. And then from there in 2003, we moved to Athens, Georgia, um, and we worked in campus ministry. I just volunteered, but um, Kevin worked full time uh, for the Athens Church of Christ, and we worked at the University of Georgia there for eight years. It was an incredible time, had so much fun. Um, we're still good friends with many of the students we worked with way back when. Uh, started building our family there, and then in 2011, we made a quick pit stop to um, back to the Triangle area because they were going, the Triangle Church was going to sponsor us in planting a church in Wilmington, North Carolina. So 10 years ago, we moved to Wilmington and planted a church here. And it has been, I always tell people it's been an adventure because adventure covers all of the possible emotions and experiences, as you know, from your experience with church, small church life. Right. It's been you know, amazing, inspiring, exciting, hard, confusing, and everything in between. But we absolutely love it here and um, have loved raising our family and while building this church. It's been 
a really incredible experience. Okay, so a couple things. So Kevin played football for at Duke University? For Duke, yes. Wow. Okay, so he's a Division One athlete. He is, yes. He was a quarterback. Wow. Okay, so not just a high school quarterback, college quarterback, and Division One. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> He, yeah, he has fun telling our children that. I think they are thoroughly unimpressed by you know, <laughs> <those> <laughs> <facts>. <laughs> He's like, you guys, that was a big deal. <laughs> That's great. I'm certainly impressed by that. I hope he doesn't have any aches and pains from those uh, from those days. Not too bad, actually. Um, not too bad. So <laughs> That's great. Okay, so then you came back. I mean, you, you were there eight years at UGA. I mean, that at that time that was kind of like the flagship campus ministry in, in the country. I mean, at least one of them, one of the very few, I remember it had such a great reputation over a hundred students. I mean, tons of, tons of students went there. People would flock there from all over the country. Um, I know it's, it's declined in size since that time, but what, what were you guys doing that was working so well? Well, I remember when we first got there, um, it was a difficult time in the church and a lot of people were sort of re-evaluating their faith and sort of deconstructing this whole very rules-based culture that I think had arisen. And so I remember when we first moved there uh, saying, you know what, we're just going to study the Sermon on the Mount. We're we're not going to think about what people say, we're going to look at what Jesus says. And this is sort of the heart of who he wants us to be. And we're going to just hang out in these scriptures together. And we're going to decide who we're going to be as a ministry. And I remember that being like a key thing of just building those deep roots in scripture and that our conviction doesn't come from people. It comes from God. And that was, um, something we prayed about and asked God to help build into that ministry for a long time. Um, and, and, you know, I think it, it, it built people who had real, real faith in, in God and not just cause we had a lot of kids who had come in from different church situations. And at the time, some of those churches were really struggling or confused or having a lot of conflict. And they'd come in from teen ministries that some of them had been a mess. Some of them had been great. So it just, you know, we really tried to, hey, when you come in here, let's let's plug into Jesus. Let's plug into God and and also catch a vision for reaching out to other people and reaching out on campus. So I don't know. It was a really fun, meaningful, exciting time. It must um, have been a really time. a magical time yeah. for sure. Yeah. So then you went to Wilmington and you're, you planted a church there. Now, yeah. Wil- Wilmington, is there a college there in Wilmington? There is a um, campus here, the University of North Carolina at Wilmington. Um, it's, it is definitely different from UGA. We don't have a football team, but we do have great basketball okay. and we have awesome beaches. So <laughs> it's okay. a different vibe, but we also love it. And um, yeah, we're sort of, honestly, we're in a place where we're sort of rebuilding um, our campus ministry here. So okay. we're looking forward to that. I think a lot of people are. So your husband is in the ministry now? He is. He works full time um, for the church. And then I just volunteer the best that I am able um, in between, you know, being a mom and and pretty much a full time writing career. But we very much work together and and we love 
building this church together. Of course. I mean, ministry, you can't really get away, get away from it too far. That's for sure. How does right. that, how does that work though? Your husband's Kevin is working full-time in the ministry church planter has been for 10 years there in Wilmington, which is awesome. I, that's inspiring. I, I didn't really realize that that was a church planting you're a part of. And then you've got a separate career writing full-time. How does that, what's that look like? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, it's looked, it's looked different at different stages, um, depending on sort of what was happening with my, with my writing and with my career. Um, first few years we were here, I was doing, I was doing a lot of writing, but not necessarily getting paid to do it. (laughs) It was like sort of writing by faith and trying to break in and get some writing contracts, um, which as anyone knows who has tried writing, um, can take a while, can take a really long time. Um, and so I was doing a lot of editing work and, um, that was great because it sort of helped supplement our income. And it was still a way of like honing my skills and learning more about writing and structuring and working with different types of books. Um, so yeah, I mean, we've always done it where I, I help Kevin in whatever ways he needs me to, you know, sometimes that's been, let's lead a small group out of our house. Sometimes, um, for many years, it's been, our focus has been the youth ministry in our church and sort of meeting with the middle schoolers and the high schoolers. That's sort of where I've plugged in and given my time. Um, I always try to have somewhere that I'm helping and what, you know, kind of according to what Kevin needs in the church and, um, so it's looked different, different seasons, but it's always been, always been really fun. Um, usually now that my kids are all in school, I spend the school day. That's when I write. I see. Um, okay. I really can't get anything done once they're home. Right. <laughs> I don't even try. So then the afternoons and evenings are family time, church time, that kind of thing. Okay. So your, your parents were in the ministry, their whole careers, your husband's into the ministry and fired up and, you know, going, going after it. Why'd you get into writing? I have loved writing since I was a little girl. I mean, it's funny. My dad now has dementia and really struggles to remember things. But one of the things that he talks to me about every time I see him is I remember when you were a little girl and you said, I'm going to be an author called E.A. Lang one day. And I'm like, you're right, dad. Second grade. I called it. (laughs) And I really honestly, my dad loved words and language so much. He I really credit him for giving me that love. So I've always loved writing, but um, I never thought that I would have the patience or discipline to be someone who wrote books Mm. because it's such a long slog. It's a marathon, as you know, Uh, it's a marathon. You cannot just sit down in a week and have a fit of inspiration and write a book like you have to work for months, sometimes years. But um, it was actually right before we moved to Athens that... um, Kevin and I took a trip to California from Georgia. And so when we got back, we were horribly jet lagged and, you know, sleeping at all the wrong hours. And so I had this one night of jet lag where I thought of a book idea. Um, And it was a a novel for teen girls, actually, for like middle grade, like that nine to 13 year old age. And I just had this idea in the middle of the night. And not all middle of the night ideas are good ones. (laughs) This one... (laughs) 
like I got up out of bed. I was like, well, I'm not sleeping anyway. And I drafted like two or three chapters. I, I outlined this whole book and by morning I had this whole thing and I, poor Kevin, you know, he hadn't slept well either, but I'm like big life announcement while you're tired, I'm going to be a writer. And this is the first book I'm going to write. And he's like, what? (laughs) Wow. But to his credit, he did not blink. And he was like, okay, I don't know how to support this, but I let's figure out what this means. And so it was from then I started studying the publishing industry and, and this was, this was 2003. So even it's just funny to me how much everything has gone online now, but the way I would study it and try to figure out how to do it was I would go to Barnes and Noble and there was a writing and publishing aisle, which I assume they still have. And I would sit on the floor and pull the books off and study them because they all cost like $40 each. They were this thick and I couldn't afford to buy them. So I would sit, sit on the floor in Barnes and Noble, take notes. Okay. What is a query letter? How do you get an agent? Um, who are the agents that might represent what I write? What's a writing conference? What's a critique? All of that. And just trying to figure it out and learn what to do next. <laughs> so wow. that's kind of how I got started. Okay. So when you had that flash of inspiration, what was the name of the book that came from it? Uh, the 13th Summer. And um, it's. I never did find a big publisher for that book, but I did. I independently published that one through Illumination Publishers with Tony Mulholland um, back in 2010. But that was the book that I learned how to write books on. Um, I actually found my first agent to represent that book. We did pitch it in, you know, to New York publishers and all that and just didn't have any luck. So I ended up, you know, doing the independent thing. Um, But it was a great learning experience and um, taught me how to write. Wow. I had to write a novel for the first time. Okay. So yeah. you've written four books, all the feels for teens, all the feels when God says wait. And when God says no. And when God says go. Yeah. Oh, so, when, and, and yeah. when God says go. Okay. So yeah, got a series going on. Going yeah. on. That's, that's awesome. Now you've made more progress in the broader Christian market, the, the book market than anyone, anyone else I know from our fellowship, our family of churches. How'd you do it? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, when I first started writing, I, funny enough, was not really interested in writing Christian material. I mean, I was a Christian writing, you know, I right. was a Christian who was writing fiction, but it wasn't overtly Christian material. It was, you know, secular novels for teen girls, middle school, teen and tween girls. And for a long time, that was really all I was interested in writing. So from the get-go, I was forced to step outside the people that I know um, to get to know people in different, you know, different worlds and different publishing circles. And, okay, what was what does this look like? What are the rules? I don't know what to do. So from the get-go, it kind of pushed me out of my immediate, you know, friends and family and church family. Um, but then I guess it was maybe seven, eight years ago, I finally got to a point where I hadn't made the inroads I wanted to with fiction. Um, and I was feeling a little bit stymied in my efforts and started thinking, well, you know, is God sort of pushing me to write Christian stuff? And 
for a long time, I kind of felt like I wasn't ready to write Christian material. I felt like I needed to live more life before I would have anything to say, if mm. that makes sense. Right. You know? <laughs> like I just felt like I don't have a message yet. I need to live a little more. I need to fall on my face a little bit more. And then I was like, oh yeah, I've fallen on my face enough. Maybe I have some <laughs> stuff to talk about. <laughs> and um, so I had the idea for the book, When God Says Wait, because waiting had really been a tool that God had used to work on my heart, work on my life. And so I I studied online, what does it mean to put together a book proposal? And I figured out how to do that. Um, and I actually got advice at the time from Douglas Jacoby, and I'm very grateful to him. We had worked together a lot through his work with AIM, and um, I had edited some books for him, and he had been writing for Harvest House. So he gave me some advice and you know, helped me make one connection. And one of the biggest things that um, helped me kind of figure out how to break into a different world was um, going to a writer's conference. And that would be, that is always my number one piece of advice to anybody who thinks they're interested in writing and doesn't know what to do, doesn't know if they should be an independent, you know, writer who just like self-publishes or goes through an independent publisher or is the broader traditional market or the broader Christian market for me, I always say, go to a writer's conference. You will, it will be like taking a sip of water from a higher fire hydrant. You're going to get like overwhelmed with information, but you're going to get the information you need. Writing is so much, publishing is so much about networking and building friendships with other writers, those connections. Um, so that was the best decision I ever made. Um, it was going to a, a writer's conference and just learning everything I could. That's actually where I found my first agent who could represent my Christian work. And she started pitching first my fiction um, and then the when God says wait idea. And within about, I don't know, less than a year, maybe like six to eight months, we, we had a contract and I, to my great shock, you know, I mean, I was like, really? I still remember standing in my driveway, getting a phone call from her. Like we got a contract. I was like, what? I've been doing, trying to do this for years. You did it. Are you kidding me? And then that, you know, God has opened different doors and it's been a, it's been a really great experience. I feel very grateful um, to have had the experience. Okay. So some questions there. First of all, how long did it take from that first flash of light, that first moment of inspiration that evening when you had jet lag to the time when you got published? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that because um, it was 13 years. 13 years. So <laughs> yeah. 20, 2016. Yep. Yep. I think I, I, if I'm remembering right, I got the contract for when God says, wait, that was my first like traditional book contract outside of working with people I already knew and right. at Illumination Publishers right. and DPI. Um, so yeah, it was 13 years before I got that first contract and then um, it wasn't published for another year. So yeah, it took 14 years and, and I wasn't just casually pursuing writing. Like I was writing hours a week, honing my craft, going to conferences, getting advice. I was in a writer's group. Like I was very aggressively pursuing this. Um, and, and so, and I think that's something people don't really realize, um, a cost you might need to count if you're thinking about writing as a career is it can take a long time. doesn't always, um, not for everyone, but especially if you want to write nonfiction, 
one of the things that really matters is having a platform, meaning, you know, that you have a base of people that you can present to a publisher and say, here are all the people that I know. Maybe you have a big newsletter, um, you know, with a big following, or maybe you have a big social media presence, or you have a podcast with a certain number of listeners or, um, whatever, or, you know, it could even just be, Hey, I'm in this network of business associates, but I have this field of contacts there. Um, and that takes time to build that, to build your platform. And, and you will need to have that if you want to publish in nonfiction, you'll need to have a platform that you can show to the publisher, Hey, I'm going to be able to sell books to these people. So it takes time. Okay. So that's, Super interesting. 13 years. Talk about patience. How, I mean, what kept you going during, during that time? You're, you're writing other stuff. Some of it's getting rejected. I mean, you, you're mentioning books. I didn't even know that you wrote Thir 13th summer. I go, okay, she's got more books than, than what's, you know, that I knew about how, what kept you going? Where's the motivation coming from? Uh, stubbornness. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't, I would say I'm an extremely dogged person. And I just, for me, I just can't imagine not writing. It It is, I have always believed it is, you know, and this is one of those like mystical churchy phrases, but it's God's calling on my life. It is what I have always loved. I feel alive when I do it. I have so many more stories in me and so many more things I want to say. I just can't not do it. And so I think just giving up has never been an option. And I will say like along the way, um, I got enough encouragement to keep me going. And I have learned, I think one of the things you have to learn in a field like writing where you get a lot of rejection, you have to learn to make one positive thing go a long way. Right. <laughs> You right. know, so if one agent gives you a compliment, you let that marinate in your heart and you say, okay, there, all is not lost because this good thing is there in my writing, or I have this hope to cling to. Um, and I mean, I will say that the, the year before when God says, wait, picked up, got picked up, I, I tried to pitch it myself directly to a publisher without an agent. I had an in and you usually can't do that. And we thought we had a contract. I mean, the, they were already like saying, hey, send in ideas for the cover. But then it got rejected at the very last minute because of my platform, because I was not like, I, for lack of a better word, famous enough. You know, I didn't have these numbers to say, hey, look at all the people who listen to me. And I was just devastated. And I had this very dark moment where I, this is awful but I was sitting on the floor of my bedroom throwing a full-on pity party. Like, I'm pretty sure I hung balloons in the room, <laughs> you know, black ones. <laughs> and I was saying, and I started, I was praying and crying and I was counting up for God all of the rejections I had had over the years. And I got to the number 70 and I realized this is not a healthy prayer or healthy mindset and I need to stop counting now. <laughs> So I say that to encourage someone else who may be in that place where you're like, oh my goodness, like how much rejection can one person take? Um, I don't know. I just still felt like this is what God has called me to do. I do know that, you know, 
I don't think I'm crazy for wanting to do this. Enough people have read my stuff and gotten stuff out of it that I know it, it speaks to people. So I need to hang on to that, you know, and keep going. How do you deal with rejection? Oh, well, rejection is, of course, like my least favorite part. And yet it is very much an ever-present part of a writing career. Um, so it's something that you you have to learn how to deal with. Um, I think for me, w- what I try to do whenever I get a rejection is first see if there's something I can learn from it. You know, is there a valuable criticism in here that's going to make me a better writer? So mm-hmm. I try to look at it not as a personal thing. Um, it's not an attack, but this could help me if there's something valid here, like how can I apply that to my writing? Or maybe it is a criticism of, hey, your social media isn't strong enough or your speaking presence isn't strong enough. Well, how can I grow from that? I'm, you know, I, I look at that more as like, okay, well, that's what I need to do next then. Um, so using it to fuel what I change next and mm-hmm. kind of having that growth mindset instead of a I stink mindset. Um, (laughs) And then I think sometimes you have to, every once in a while, you'll get just a a rejection that is out of nowhere and is unkind and unnecessarily harsh. I remember, I still remember from, I don't know, 17-ish years ago, an editor criticizing the 13th summer and writing this super snarky line about how my main character seemed to burst into tears every, you know, five minutes or so. And I was like, well, have you ever met a, in my mind, I was like, well, have you ever met a 13 year old girl? Cause that's what they do. They cry a lot. Come on, buddy. <laughs> you old man who's right. never met a girl. Um, but I did, after I got over having hurt feelings, I went back and I, I was like, you know what, this is a valid criticism. She's crying too much. She's a crybaby. Mm. I need to edit my novel. So, you know, f- learning to filter the stuff that's not helpful, take the rest as something to grow. And then also even just realizing the nature of, especially if you work in the arts, so much of this comes down to preference and my style is not going to be for everybody. That's not a criticism of them. It's not a criticism of me. It's just, we're wired differently. So sort of learning how to box up some of those things that you're like, okay, well, I'm not the right fit for that person, or I'm not the right fit for that publishing house. They've already got a title similar to this. So it's not about me. It's just about what they need and don't need right now. So kind of learning to have different boxes that you put it in, but mostly just saying, how can I grow from this? What can I learn from it Mm -hmm. to make me better? So next time I don't get rejected. Right. So if a person has it in their mind, you know, they feel, they feel that calling, they feel like, okay, I feel like there's something in there I want to talk about. How does a person get started in writing? Like, can you give some like step one, step two, step three? I mean, what, what do you do? Absolutely. Um, I think, well, the first thing is you do have to start writing. (laughs) You can can feel called to writing. You can talk about writing. You can study writing all day, but if you're not writing, that's going to be a problem. Um, And, you know, forgive the, this is a little bit of a harsh language, but in the writing world, they call it butt in chair. You know, you have to put your booty in the chair Mm -hmm. and sit and write something. If you want to have something to sell, you have to have something that you have written. 
Um, and the more you write, the more you'll learn and the better you'll get. Um, so that's the first thing is do start writing. Um, I, and, and then you'll actually find out if you have the stamina and if you like it or not. Right. <laughs> um, I, I do think the second thing is writers conferences are invaluable. Okay. Uh, you will. And when you go, go to learn, suck it all in, take it all in, take notes, watch the virtual replays later um, and meet as many people as you can, because you need to have writer friends who can critique your work, give you advice, point you in the right direction, maybe one day endorse your work for you. Um, they can connect you with, oh, hey, I know this agent who is looking for this. Those connections are really important. Um, when you have a solid manuscript that you have edited and edited and edited and sent out for feedback and gotten advice from people who are reasonably well-educated in the writing, you know, and just as a reader or a writer, um, then it might be time to look for an agent. You almost always have to have an agent in order to get a publishing contract. Very few publishers will even look at your work without it being represented by an agent. And so there's a whole like etiquette involved. Um, every agent, every literary agent has different things they're looking for in a query letter, which you usually send by email now. Um, always pretty much send by email. Um, when I first started, I was sending them with self-addressed stamped envelopes and getting <laughs> my own handwriting <laughs> back in the mail saying, thank you for your submission. We don't want it. <laughs> mm. So, and then it all went digital soon after that. Uh, but you'll need to learn about query letters and agents. And there are, the, the great thing is there is a wealth of resources online that you can look up and you right. can educate yourself. Right. Um, I definitely recommend joining a writing critique group if you're not in one already to, it will keep you going. It will keep you encouraged. If you find a healthy one, don't find a super critical yucky one. Right. Um, those do exist, <laughs> uh, but join a critique group. They can even help you as you get ready to query an agent. And then from there, um, you know, you kind of have to put your patient pants on and, and wait. And it, it can take a long time to find an agent. Twitter agents are very active on Twitter. A lot of times they'll post their wish lists. I'm looking for someone who writes this. Don't contact me if you've written this. So do your homework. Um, and then once you've found an agent from there, they will really guide you. And that's, they are invaluable. They, they typically will take 15% of your um domestic royalties and advances and they are worth every penny because they negotiate your contracts they make sure you get paid it's their job to know what publisher is looking for what um and to you know send your work to the right places and um you know help you get the best put your best foot forward and get the best possible chance of getting published okay so that's super helpful so first start writing obvious, but so important. And then uh, go to a writer's conference, get an agent, send out a query letter, uh, get into a writing group and probably get active on Twitter. Let's, let's go back. Do you have a recommendation for a conference? The one that I went to that I really loved, and I know you went as well as the Blue Ridge Mountain Christian Writers Conference. Um, I went to that one in particular because I was that's when I was first starting to write Christian work and, and I didn't know, know anyone in the Christian writing world. 
I don't think I knew a single soul except Douglas Jacoby was, you know, a friend and coworker. Right. And right. so, um, but I really knew no one. I, I had spent the last 12 years going to secular children's fiction writer conferences. And those were super fun. I went, um, to uh, this, if you do write for children, the Society for Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, the SCBWI, has amazing conferences and retreats all over the country. So if that's your world, I would recommend them. Um, but I loved the Blue Ridge Mountain Christian Writers Conference for Christian writing. Um, it was small enough. It was big, but small enough that you it was still intimate and I felt like I could right. meet people one-on-one. Um, if you go to a conference, I'll say take advantage of any opportunities to meet agents and editors. If they're, if you can pay to have have one of them critique your work, it will be worth it. Number one, you will get a great professional critique, um, and you'll kind of get your feet wet in. Oh, this is this is what this feels like. This is what this looks like. This is what they're looking for. Oh wow, I have some holes in my writing I didn't know about. Um, and if you're real lucky and if you really study the people who are offering critiques at the conference and you target and you say, Hey, I want this person to critique my work because I know they're looking for what I write. Mm, right. You might just end up getting an offer. That's how I got my agent. I paid for her, my first Christian agent. I paid for her to like 25 or $50 for her to critique my work. Right. And she critiqued it and loved it and said, I would like to represent this if you don't already have an agent. And I was like, I know I don't. Yes, please. Let's work together. Wow. Um, so it can make a great connection like that. You right. never know. Right. That's, that's a fantastic. I, I went to that conference and it was a great recommendation. I mean, the location is so incredibly beautiful. I'd never been to North Carolina ever. And Asheville is a beautiful, beautiful town. I mean, it's, it was incredible. So that was that was great advice. Let's talk a little bit about social media. I mean, it's not just writing these days. Like when I look at your your signature in the email, I mean, there's you've got like three things listed. You've got your your Twitter posts. You've got all of your Twitter sites. You've got um, your author site, your Facebook site, your Instagram site. I mean, that alone gets me a little nervous because my social media platform is is shaky. Um, I, I would consider. So can you talk to me a little bit about how you approach that and, and whole social media side and how that's become important? Yeah. Um, I do think that is one of the most intimidating parts of it for a lot of people. If you're like, Oh, that's just not my thing. That's not what I love doing. I'm uncomfortable with social media. I don't like it. I mean, I get that. I have wrestled with all of that. You know, the nice thing is you don't have to do it a certain way. I think you can find the the point is publishers just want to see that you're out there engaging with the world and that you have people who listen to what you have to say and are invested in your writing, your message or your stories if you write fiction. And you can do that different ways. Like they don't care. Like it doesn't have to be Instagram. It doesn't have to be Facebook. It could be that you have a podcast and that's your thing. And that's where you connect. And maybe you don't like Facebook, but you have your your podcast and it's that's where you speak to people and they talk back to you. That's great. Um, 
there's a guy named Rob Eager who has a website that really helps authors. And I believe it's startawildfire.com. He really preaches the importance of just building a strong newsletter subscriber list. He's like, don't even worry about social media because social media trends come and go, um, which some people would disagree with that, but that is his stance on it. He's like, but email addresses stay forever. <laughs> you know, if you can have an author website where you have a carrot that you give away, hey, sign up for my newsletter and I'll give you 30 days of devotionals or I'll give you my short stories for free. And then they sign up for your newsletter. That gives you an immediate way of connecting with readers regularly once a week, twice a month, once a month. Right. That could be your thing too, right. you know? So, there, or if you like, you like uh, uh, video, do YouTube. Like it doesn't have to be, it's not one size fits all. Publishers just want to know that you have a presence, you're engaged with readers, you have a place where you meet them. You could even be super active on like a reader site, like Goodreads, where you leave reviews and people follow your book reviews and you engage like that. There's so many different ways you can do it. So I always tell people, experiment with you with what feels authentic to your message, your voice, your lifestyle, and how much time you have to put into it and go with that. And then keep adapting as, as your life changes and your readership changes and grows. Okay, so that's that's really, really helpful. Thank you for that. But what do you do? Like what's what's your plan with your social media? Aside from writing, like how do you keep on top of it and and make it make it work? Okay, so in theory, I'm a little off rhythm at the moment, I have to say, because I have been on a super heavy editing project. Uh, we've been finishing up a book that I just turned in two days ago. So hey, congratulations. I can get back to my real life, real non-theoretical plan. Theoretically, what I like to do when life is not insane is plan out my social media posts for the week on a Monday or a Tuesday where I sort of, they call it batching, where you make four or five or 10 or 20 posts all at once. So you sit down, maybe you do it in two hours and you make a bunch of posts and they're all ready to go. Some people use a scheduling service. I don't do that. I, I don't know if I'm just not organized enough or what. I'm not good at scheduling ahead, um, but I'll plan them. And then you just, you have them ready to go. So every day you don't wake up going, what am I going to talk about today? Um, and you're ready to go for the week. That's what I have found effective. I, my goal is usually to post for maybe five times a week. And I take the weekends completely off. I don't even check in on social media at all on the weekends because I want to be present with my family. I don't like having my brain divided, you know, and right. like constantly checking. I learned that from a writer um, named Laura Casey Isaacson, um, who is a Christian writer in Chapel Hill. And, um, She's amazing. But that's something I read in one of her books. And then we became friends. And I was like, you know what? I'm taking that advice. I'm not doing social media on the weekends. I'm leaving that for family and church and God and rest. So. Right. Okay. So you've written like a ton of books. How many published and unpublished? How many books have you written? Okay. That's a good question. I always have to stop and think. So I wrote, I actually wrote a book in college <laughs> as a senior project. Okay. That, DPI published. That was my first little baby book 
um, called Glory Days. And then after that, I co-wrote two nonfiction books for with my parents for DPI. Uh, one was called The Wonder Years with my parents about parenting middle schoolers. At the time, I was not a mom. So I was just writing, hey, here's what my parents did that helped me in middle school. That was my contribution. And then mom and I wrote a book about parenting preschoolers called The Tender Years. So that's one, two, three. And then I wrote three novels, one of which was... Um, you know, I independently published with Illumination Publishers, two of which, you know, the world has not seen. And I'm still praying about those books and I still have hope for them. <laughs> I have not given up. <laughs> okay. I'll be 85 years old. Like, this book, please. Um, so two novels that have gone unpublished and then uh, five, I guess it's five have been uh, five Christian books published two journals and then one that I just finished that will come out next year. Wow. Okay. Pretty prolific. That's, that's awesome. So you started in fiction and then you switched over to nonfiction. Why was that because you felt like somehow you'd failed in fiction and you feel like I'm going to, I'm going to be more effective in nonfiction. I mean, why, why'd you switch? That's a great question. Um, so my, yeah, I still love fiction. And in fact, I'm planning to spend a good bit of time this year, sort of circling back and revisiting fiction. Um, you know, I think it was a combination of several things. Um, one, I hadn't, I had, I always, I couldn't get a foot in the door with fiction the way I wanted to. I had always felt like I had my big toe stuck in the door, but the door wouldn't open all the way. And then for a long time, I really didn't want to write nonfiction because, as I said before, I, I just didn't feel like I had anything to say yet. But then I got to the point where I was like, you know what? God has put some things on my heart. So if he opens that door, I'll walk through it. And so I started knocking on the door and praying. You know, that's something I haven't said yet, but I do think praying and asking God to guide your steps and direct you and clarify whether or not this is something he wants you to do, or it's just something you want to do. <laughs> you know, sometimes we want things that God's like, that's not my plan for you. So I started praying like, okay, I'm going to knock on these doors and see if you open them or not. And then the fiction door flew pretty wide, uh, nonfiction door flew pretty wide open and God kept putting things on my heart. And so I'll keep doing that as long as I have things to say. And long as it seems that that's what God wants me to do, but I would love to continue to do fiction as well. That's still my first love and what I enjoy right. tremendously. Well, that that's impressive that you, you were trying in one direction, but then you didn't quit. You didn't just go, well, forget it. I'm just going to take my marbles and go home. You, you, you switched directions, you switched tack and you're effective and you're successful, which is really impressive. It was, it was funny when I went to that writer's conference, I, I mentioned this earlier in the, our talk beforehand, but I mean, it seemed like there were so many Christian romance writers. I mean, it was, that's one thing I saw is like, okay, in this market, first of all, I felt like I was one of maybe 10% of the population of that conference were men. Everyone else was women, lots of women there. Lots of women. <laughs> and, and I think that is, unless you go to like a detective mil, you know, thriller murder oriented one you're gonna find we're we're pretty heavy <laughs> in the women department exactly <laughs> but uh I'll, I'll be praying that you you know that you have a break out there in, in the fiction department but it's interesting because your dad was quite a writer and he was kind of a trail 
trailblazer in a way. He put together quite a few books that I loved and I, I think were very influential in our family of churches. Things like Warrior and The Wonder Years, like you mentioned. I mean, he, he put together some awesome books and and talked a lot about his love of writing. And so it's it's really cool how that's passed on to you. It can just tell see the legacy there. And that must be very satisfying for him. But let's, I want to just dig down a little bit more. Can you talk a little bit about what your ideal schedule looks like, your writing schedule? I know it's really tough to have the perfect plan, but in an ideal environment, what does your writing schedule look like where you go, okay, this is how I'm going to do it? Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's looked different depending on sort of, where I was career-wise, um, different points in my career, it's looked different, different points in my parenting, it's looked different. Um, so like right now, all four of my kids are in school during the day. So I really try my best to spend a good portion of that, of the day when they're at school, either writing or doing social media, doing some of the, you know, all the things that go along with writing and sort of managing all the different pieces, website and all of that. Um, so I would say, but I also try to, you know, I exercise, I get with people, I do Bible studies. So um, if I can have like four days a week where I am writing for a good chunk of that day, um, anywhere from three to five hours. That's, that's great right now. Um, there have been other times like when my kids were little and I wasn't writing on a deadline, but I was writing by faith that one day I would have deadlines. <laughs> I really appreciate that. Kevin was so supportive. We would block out times where he would keep the kids or he would pick them up from preschool. And that was my dedicated writing time. I have always, we have always treated this like it was my job before, even before it was my job. So it was like, okay, Tuesdays and Thursdays, Kevin picks them up and I have all the way until after nap time at two o'clock. That's my time when I'm writing. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I couldn't do it otherwise. Right. And I was too tired at night. I know people who can write after their kids are in bed and that is amazing. I am a zombie at night. Right. Um, right. I can't do it. So that worked best for me. I, you know, treating it like a, a, a job to go to that I needed to show up. And um, I'm also a big fan and not everyone can do this, but, um, you know, once or twice a year, if I can get away for a night or two, like just check into a hotel with my computer and just immerse, I've found that's a really helpful way of finishing a project. Like if you get close to the end of a novel, but you like can't bring all the pieces together. If you can find a way to work it into your work schedule, your family life schedule, take a weekend, take a night or two and just immerse, you would be amazed how much you can get done. So that's another thing that's worked really well for me is um, a few, you know, key overnight writing times. Right. So. Right. That's a great idea. And I, I know that Randy McKean does that? I I think your dad mentioned it in one of his books, or at least in personally, he would get away for a retreat and, and just write, finish his book. Um, great advice. How do you come up with new ideas? A lot of prayer. Um, you know, I think since I'm writing Christian material right now, so much of it springs from what I'm studying on my own. Like, so I think it's important for me to keep feeding myself spiritually and keep growing in my knowledge of God's word and 
keep being excited by the scriptures, um, finding new ways to engage with them. So some of it is from, hey, I'm learning this and God's speaking to me in this area. Maybe this could turn into a book or a chapter somehow. Um, <laughs> excuse me. That's part of it. Some of it is just from, you know, studying the Bible with friends in town or working with our church and kind of seeing a need that people have and saying, Ooh, you know, this is something, it would be great if there was a book about this. You know? right, right. Um, some of it comes from that. I, honestly, two of my last books have been, my publisher has actually brought the topics to me and I've had to kind of go back and pray and think about it and be like, is that something I can actually speak to? Like, what would I say if I tried to address that issue? So that was a different way of writing a book, um, having a topic, you know, brought to you and right. like, Hey, do you want to write about this? So it's come different ways. Right. And I'm sure that as you write more than your capacity, your facility increases. And so then you can, it broadens, broadens your ability and scope. That's, that's awesome. Can we talk a little bit about how, um, you have any recommendations on books on the subject of writing, like mm. for you know a writer? Like, what are there any books they could read that that might help them? You know, one book I actually really loved early on was "On Writing" by Stephen King. Um, you know, it doesn't always have clean language, and <laughs> it's not a Christian writer, but I loved his book, his take on writing. Lot it. It was a really fun, engaging read with some practical advice in there that was inspiring to me. Another book I have loved is The Right, R-I-G-H-T, To Write, W-R-I-T-E, by Julia Cameron. Um, that really, she has some great stuff about writing morning pages and the importance of just sort of brain dumping every morning and just getting words on the page as a practice. Um, she has a lot of great material about really freeing up your imagination. And like, I don't know, she, her book made me believe that I could be a writer and made mm. me believe that she always, you know, again, she's not a Christian writer, but she would be like, the universe is going to provide a way. And I was right. like, Oh, God's going to provide a way. Right. You know, it just, right. she gave me a lot of faith and hope. So those are two that I've really loved. It, it's funny you mentioned that book by Stephen King. I love that book. That, right? Oh my gosh. I mean, I laughed out loud reading that book. He he talked about an instance where he, he was a little kid. He was backed into a bush. Like, I think he wasn't wearing any clothes, a little kid. And it was like poison ivy. <laughs> he was just covered with, I mean, just the experience, the visceral a description just made me laugh. And I thought, I thought it was a great book and really touching too, just talking about yeah. how, how much he sacrificed writing yeah. in a, a, like a trailer home after his, he was teaching, he was earning like $6,000 a year as a teacher and then coming home and writing in the afternoons in his trailer home. And then he got the accept acceptance for the book, Carrie, the, the horror novel. And he just, I mean, I, it really brought tears to my eyes just the way he wrote that. But I thought, I love that. I love that recommendation. And um, this other book I look forward to, to, to reading. I thought Anne Lamott has a great book on, uh, I think it's called Bird, Bird by Bird or something like that. She's kind of, she's very good. Okay, let's talk a little bit about money. And I, I want to just ask you, okay, I know that this is a labor of love for you, Elizabeth. It's clearly, you know, come, definitely received it from your dad and the inspiration, but genetically you're you're 
disposed to this, but there's an element of, you know, realism. Okay. You got to make money. You got to support yourself. Your husband is doing ministry. You need to bring in some money. How, how does that factor into this? Like, how do you approach it? Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you asked because I, that is the hardest part of this. I think, especially because almost every writer that I know, there is this desert period, um, where you're not making any money and you are writing by faith and you are pursuing something you have a passion for a calling for whatever. And, and you're like, and and you have those moments where you're like, am I just wasting my time? Am I wasting my life throwing away, you know, time when I could be earning money for my family doing something else. And, and those are valid questions, you know, and like Kevin and I have had to have those conversations, um, often, you know, as a family of six, um, where I'm not employed on staff. And so, um, and I will say this for what it's worth. One of the writing conferences I went to, they said the average time it takes a person to break in is about 10 years. Wow. So, and so, you know, it might help to mentally to kind of know that. Right. I put in 10 years before I get that good advance that is is going to supplement some of my income. So almost every writer that I know has to work it into their schedule around another job. And mm-hmm. I have almost always worked another job alongside writing. So for years I edited, um, which was great because it was still doing what I loved in a different way. And it was still teaching me about writing, educating me, but also helping my family. And I would sometimes have to take a month off from writing period to finish up editing a client's book. And, and, you know, so we all have those hard decisions to make where you're, man, I wish I was writing more, you know, I wish I had more time and freedom in my schedule. So I have totally done that. Um, my first traditional contract did not nearly supplement my income the way I needed it to, but it was a, and it was a foot in the door and, um, and it kind of helped launch me into, you know, bigger advances that, that allow me to not have to edit anymore. I'm still not like, woohoo, you know, we're rolling in the money or anything, but it's enough that it supports the amount of time that I'm spending. So you kind of have to be patient and creative with, okay, how do I cobble together enough of an income until I'm making the advance that I need or the royalties that I need. Um, I do a lot of, even now I supplement a lot of my book writing with magazine work and magazine work, print, print magazines can pay well. If you can find some magazines that you build a relationship with, and then they start coming to you with some ideas, um, that can be a great way to supplement your income. Um, and certainly online, I've found that online journals, um, and magazines and blogs don't pay as well, but they do pay. It's still paid writing. And so there are different ways you can do, you can kind of cobble together work that or an income that is in the field that you want to be, even if it's not your dream way of making money. Okay. So um, do you, are you making enough money now that it would, it's, it keeps you afloat or, you know, Give, give me an idea of where you're at in terms of you've published four books. You've got another one on the way. Are, is that, I mean, I know that you're not um, JK Rowling or anything like that, but is it, is it enough to provide at least 
a, a good salary for you. Yeah. Yeah. At, at this point, like it, it, I would say it's taken about, um, five years of writing. I mean, and I've written six books in five years, um, to get to a point where it's, I would say not, uh, like I'm making close to a full-time salary, but not quite. So, you know, it, but for us, that's okay because Kevin, you know, does have a full-time job that would be harder if, um, you know, if he was only working part-time, you know, we might have to make some different choices, but, but I, it's taken me like five years to kind of build up to right. where. Right. Which is awesome. And you're, so you're building momentum, you're building recognition, yeah. name recognition and experience. I mean, it's just, it's a, a virtuous cycle. Have you ever thought about just like breaking out entirely out of the Christian Christian market and going into uh, the secular book world? Yeah, I mean, that was my whole focus for the first 12 years was just that secular world. Um, I, I think now that I love writing for a Christian audience, I don't, I don't see myself ever leaving it entirely because, you know, I still have all these people that I'm connected with, but I would still love to get into secular fiction as well. Like I'd like to do both. So that's still my, um, if I can have a foot in both worlds, that'd be amazing. Right. Well, I'm sure you'll get there at, at some point. Who inspires you? Oh man. So many different, so many different people inspire me. Um, my writing partner, Emma Stevens is a teacher in, at a Christian high school in Athens, Georgia. We became friends back there and she is a brilliant writer who you have read yet to read because right now she's focusing on her teaching career, but in a, you know, at some point she will retire and the world will get to read her books. She really inspires me as someone who loves books, loves language is brilliant and is kind of waiting for the right time to publish, which I think a lot of us have to do. She really inspires me. Um, I have so many writer friends um, who I'm inspired by how hard they work mm. and how hard they pray about their writer writing careers, how much they bring it to God. Jennifer Marshall Bleakley um, works at Tyndale House with me. She she's known as like the animal writer because she's written these really inspirational books. One is called Joey. Uh, I think the other one is called Project Solomon, but about these horses. And she brings like God into these stories. It's really inspiring. She works so hard, prays so hard. And another friend, Rebecca George, she's a podcast host. She just finished her first book, Christian book um, with, who is she writing? I forget the publisher, drawing a blank, but, um, and it's about being like a, a faithful woman who is just a go-getter mm. in God's kingdom. And like, mm. can you be both? You know, right. can you be a woman and be a go-getter? Right. I love her message that's coming out this spring. She really inspires me. Oh goodness, I could yeah. go on and on. But. What, like, what are you reading right now? Oh, oh my goodness, I'm reading some really fun stuff. Okay, so actually, Emma, my writing partner and friend, put me onto the Thursday Murder Club series. I read a lot of fiction, <laughs> and it is these this hilarious. Speaking of laugh out loud, hilarious series of books about 
these people who live in a retirement community and solve <laughs> old murders hysterical like i will be sitting there in bed and kevin's like what are you doing i'm like sorry these old people are hilarious and um so thursday murder club series absolutely brilliant really fun escapist read but also will make you cry because it's moving um that is what i'm reading most regularly i'm also hoping in the next few months to finally finish the Lord of the Rings. I'm two thirds of the way done. Oh. I've got to read the return of the King now. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's one of my, um, so wonderful. I'm trying to mix like classics and modern. And then I have, um, I'm usually reading the, some theologic uh, theologians book at some point. Um, but I'm not reading one right now. So I'm reading more like devotional material right now. I have like an advent devotional I'm reading and the current devotional book I'm reading is called A Little Goes a Long Way by another writer friend, Rachel Adams. And it's great, just little daily readings and prayers. So that's great. Well, you're you're making a difference. And, and the theme of this podcast is living a no regrets life, making this life count. Can you talk a little bit of your writing? Writing to help people, nonfiction. Can you share some stories about where your writing has made a difference in people's lives, maybe share some stories about people that have been impacted by your writing. Well, one of my favorite things is hearing back from people who take the time to tell me, Hey, something that you said touched my life. Um, because as anyone who has written knows you, you're sitting alone with a pen, pen and paper or a computer. For me, I'm sitting alone, alone in Starbucks surrounded by people. <laughs> <laughs> and you're sort of writing into this like void, like, and you're praying and hoping that this will touch someone. So it's, it always means a lot when you hear from someone and you're like, Hey, I've been through infertility, like you have, and this gave me hope, or it helped me lay some things to rest that I had been struggling with bitterness over, mm -hmm. or I love hearing those stories. Um, one of my very favorite moments happened last year. Um, I went to speak to a church that I had no like connection to personally or relationship with. It was, um, Temple Baptist church in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And I, someone there had read one of my books. And so they invited me for a women's event. And I was like very intimidated because I didn't know. Right. Usually I go into a church and I'm like, Oh, we know each other. Right. This was like all new people. They didn't know me. I didn't know them. And, um, but we had a great time. Mm. We talked a lot about Elijah and growth and, you know, hard times in our faith. And then afterwards I was signing some books at the book table and a lady came up to me and she, um, she held up her phone and she said, and there was a picture of a baby on it. She said, I just want to show you this picture. This is my grandson. Mm. And she said, you don't know me, but several years ago, my daughter was going through infertility and I, she was in a crisis in her faith. And I just went into a bookstore and tried to find something. And I stumbled across your book when God says, wait, I had never heard of you or your book, but I gave it to her. It, and it really meant a lot to her. And now she's a mom. And I was just like, oh, wow. that's why I write those books is to give people hope. And that really stood out to wow. me as books are a way that you can reach across and build a relationship with someone that you have never met, may never meet, but you both love God or you both love stories or whatever it is that right. you write about. Right. And, and God can bring your hearts together on the page like that. Mm. That meant the world to me. That's awesome. What advice would you give to a person who wants to make this life count? 
I would say to be brave. Don't be afraid to try something new and scary that seems bound to fail. Like, well, try, <laughs> you know, be a little bit brave and don't be afraid to fail. If it doesn't work and maybe God closes that door and it's not for you, that's okay. You learned something. Right. You tried something new. You did something scary. Right. Um, you did something that pushed you and made you grow as a human, even if it didn't turn into a new career or a new passion or a new hobby. I, that's sort of always been my approach with writing is let me be brave. Let me try this. And if God opens the door, that'll be exciting. If he doesn't, I'll grow and I'll learn. Right. Um, that's how I try to approach it. So. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. I really appreciate your doing this and it does take bravery to let your voice just go out there, put, you know, it's funny how I, I remember reading this, this book and it's, it talked about the regrets of the aged and it said that they um, wish that they had expressed themselves and, and just spoke their mind. And it takes guts to be a nonfiction writer, just to go, Hey, my opinion, my opinion matters. It counts. It may not be the perfect opinion or, but it's my opinion. I'm going to put it out there. And so Really appreciate what you're doing. Thank you so much for the time today. Oh, thank you for having me. I love talking about this stuff and I hope it encourages somebody else who's maybe thinking about exploring writing or, you know, some new passion that they want to give it a try. So thank you. And I appreciate just that you're giving voices to, you know, all the people you're interviewing, letting them kind of share about their passions and, and mm -hmm. that you're helping people along the way. I think what you're doing is really meaningful. So thank you for letting me be part of it. You're welcome. And all the best to you. I pray you sell a million books. <laughs> oh, I do too. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to the Rob Skinner podcast. And if you're enjoying this podcast, I'd like to ask your help and support through one of the following. First of all, hit the subscribe button and then let your friends know about this. Put it on your social media site, put the link on it, post the episode and let people know about it. Also, read one of my books, How to Plant and Grow a Church, A Complete Manual for Church Growth, or Courage, How to Make This Life Count. You can find either one of those on Amazon. And after you've read it, please leave a review. It helps people to know that the book exists. So please, please do that. And just keep us in your prayers. We really appreciate it because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no-regrets life, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.